Hey, everybody. We're catching up on the Bitcoin conference. Must have been awesome. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> we'll talk about pieces of that along the way. You're in the green room uh, here with Disrupt TV. Here with my awesome co-host, Vala Afshar. we got a producer, L here. We're going to do some reverse order introductions, see how everybody's doing. And, of course, I'm going to ask where you guys calling in from and what are you talking about today. So, Lewis, where are you calling in from? What are we talking about? Lewis Smithingham, uh, SVP of Innovation for Media Monks. I am calling in from the Research Triangle in Raleigh, so in North Carolina. I, we're here to talk about the metaverse in general. I think what my specialty comes into is just looking at how we show up from a brand's perspective authentically. All right, hot topic. Thank you for coming in. Uh, Sam, where are you calling from? What are you talking about today? What's up, guys? Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm currently in Austin, Texas, although normally based in Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, today, I'm here to talk about similarly the metaverse and specifically fandom in the metaverse. I'm chief strategy officer for NFT Stadium. We're creating fandom experiences with NFTs that are to be enjoyed in the metaverse and other digital forums. You and I have to catch up. I'm in Las Vegas a lot. And, uh, I'll, I send you, I'll send you some NFT. recommendations. I, we, we, uh, I've got NFT ticketing with a guy named Hunter you might know. So we'll chat up. All right. right. Arthur, where are you dialing from? What are we going to talk about? Hey, it's Arthur Phillip. I'm dialing in from Orlando, Florida. Great to be with everybody today and uh, excited to talk about the web, the uh, metaverse and the Web3 economy that's emerging and uh, how businesses can take advantage of it. I'm the chief growth officer at Publicis Sapien. Woohoo. All right. Looks like an action packed show. Turn it back over to you, yeah. L. All right. Three, two, one. <laughs> Welcome and thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar. I'm the Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send Ray, myself, our distinguished guests, your questions live using hashtag Disrupt TV. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host. He's the CEO and founder of Constellation Research. He is the best-selling author of Everybody Wants to Rule the World, Surviving and Thriving in a World of Digital Giants. Ray is a regular television business and technology news contributor for Fox Business, Yahoo Finance, CNBC, and Wall Street Journal. He's a global sought after keynote speaker, and in my humble opinion, one of the top futurists to follow on Twitter at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray Wong, to the Shop TV. Hey, thanks a lot. I'm here with my co-host friend, Vala Afshar, the Chief Digital Evangelist for Salesforce. He's also the author of The Pursuit of Social Business Excellence. I normally have the book with me. Executives around the world pay attention to every one of his inspirational, insightful tweets. And when he's not hosting, keynoting, or leading events at Salesforce, you can find him speaking on, on business TV outlets such as Bloomberg and posting insightful analyses on ZDNet. But you know, it's not about us. It's about our awesome co-hosts and awesome guests that are here. Who do we have today to kick it off? Ray, it's a privilege for us. Our first guest is Arthur Phillip, Chief Growth Officer at Publicis Sapient. Arthur leads the global sales ecosystem, business development, and operations for Publicis Sapient, new and existing clients, partners on client, clients across the entire group, and collaborates with teams across the organization to drive multidisciplinary expansion. Arthur has over 30 years of experience in technology and software services and has built and led uh, and, and grown global teams uh, at functions of HCL Technologies, Microsoft, HP, Oracle, Unisys, and IBM. Some companies I think most of our audience are familiar with. I have no with. idea who they are. No. Yeah. <laughs> most recently, author was EVP Global Head of Sales Transformation and Marketing at HCL Technologies. You can follow author on Twitter at Arthur Phillip, F-I-L-I-P. Welcome, author, to Disrupt TV. Hey, thank you, Vala. Thank you, Ray. And, and thanks for getting my uh, last name right there. Perfect. <laughs> Great to be with you guys. It's been quite a while, Ray. I think uh, last time we were on stage was right before the pandemic, and you know, probably somewhere in the snowy mountains in uh, in Switzerland. But it's awesome to see you guys live. Thank you so much. 
you know, it is amazing. And, you know, the hot topic of the day is metaverse, right? We define it yeah. as a $20.7 trillion market by 2030. Um, we're all talking about it. We're all defining it a little bit differently. It's all starting to come together. We're kind of at the middle uh, of, of this definition phase, and we're just about to figure out what it's all going to be like. How do you guys define it? How does Publicis Sapient think about it? Um, you're big in terms of shaping what that definition is about. But more importantly, like how do you guys think about it and what does it mean for your clients? Yeah. And first of all, you know, what I'd say is you, you said 27 point, uh, I think, $3 trillion opportunity. I would actually urge people to take a look at the overall global GDP, right? $94 trillion today, growing to 110 next year. The reality is, is that the metaverse is going to have impact in all kinds of uh you know, nuanced ways throughout the entire global economy. First of all, Publicis Sapiens, a leading global uh, company. We born about 30 years ago at the outset of the internet era. We've helped thousands of companies uh, really work through and build their overall digital business transformation footprint and uh, evolve for, you know, the era that we're in today. And when I look at the metaverse, it's really a fundamental part and extension of everybody's digital business transformation. In many ways, it is uh, all the different disparate technologies and foundational principles that people have been working on for 20, 30 years starting to converge together. You know, VR and AR have always been off in the distance as a potential and a future, but there have been so many advancements. And, and one thing I'll say is the pandemic itself. You know, when you combine uh, people that most of our lives were reduced during a two year period of time to a two dimensional arena, you know, we sat at home, um, you know, the only differentiation was your voice, what you were wearing that day and what your background was. Uh, but we were all stripped of many of our social, um, you know, opportunities, many of our interactions, many of the things we got to do outside of our homes. And that forced the technology to get even more integrated to evolve and actually changed a lot of behavior, right? It drove acceptance um, beyond gaming. We saw gaming as, as kind of the, the opportunity for the metaverse to evolve. But once people got into a, a sphere where their work, their life balance, their interaction with family members was all dedicated to online, their shopping, their interactions, really their livelihood, that started to put the metaverse into a second gear. And, and one way I describe it is it's really a collection of virtual shared space opportunities and it's mm -hmm. ambient computing coming together. Um, you know, from a Publicis Sapient perspective, we look at it a special way. We have a, a, something that we really espouse and bring to our clients, an accelerator we call speed. And first of all, we love speed because it's fast and it's nimble and it's agile. But for us, it's about building companies' capabilities uh, and culture and foundations around strategy, around product, around experience, around engineering and data and AI. And if companies can embrace all five of those, you know, you, you take a look at any one of those individually, but you start to bring all of them together, integrated. And now you've got an organization that's powerful, that's strong, that's nimble, that can really take digital to the next level and jump into the metaverse. You know, you work for a company that's a digital transformation trailblazer or revered brand globally. And then you have an awesome title growth uh, officer, yeah. like who doesn't want to grow? So yeah. I suspect that, you know, you're pulled into or invited to by your clients um, through different lines of business to help them understand how they can grow uh, leveraging the metaverse. Um, but you must have naysayers. You must have people who think this is hype. You know, Coca-Cola just yeah. launched a drink in the metaverse and, you know, um, Nike and shoe uh, brands have had their, their clothes in the metaverse, uh, minting NFTs and this, that. And no matter where you look, uh, it looks, seems like every sector is trying to find their voice and, and the ability to brand in this in this digital economy. What, what do the top naysayers tell you? What, what are some of the challenges that you see when you're invited to meet with CEOs and boardrooms and have this discussion, who, who are the ones that are trying to, you know, deflate the enthusiasm about this, this reality that's, a, again, multi-trillion dollar industry? Wow. Um, 
yeah, we're definitely seeing like a, a <laughs> big sure shift in what's happening in the metaverse. No, but you and I are both here. We're, yeah. <laughs> we're definitely in the metaverse. We're definitely in the metaverse. Um, Eventually, I'm um, sure we'll have to go there, Ray. Just, just let you know. We definitely do. We definitely do. Um, but you know, you know, the, the challenges, right? So we were having this conversation about, you know, where the naysayers were, and a lot of folks were like, "It's not real. We're at the beginning. We don't know who the winners are. What's the standards? How do we get there?" Uh, but there are some good things that are happening, like universal screen description, right? The Pixar standard that actually is setting what AR, VR is going to do, right? Um, you know, and, and folks are like, well, is it just another channel? Should we do it like the way we used to do it? And that's another thing that we've got to figure out. Like, how do we, you know, do we keep it a separate channel? Is, there, is it a metaverse team? Kind of like, we're going to have a mobile team, like mobile development. So, but we've seen stuff like that. What are you seeing as well, Vala? Like when you're talking to clients or when you're hearing about metaverse, are there naysayers popping up as well? I think interoperability is probably something yep. that most people are not fully uh, aware of in terms of who's defining the standards, how many metaverses will exist, uh, <laughs> can, can my avatar uh, be portable in terms of uh, going to a Publicis Sapien metaverse event uh, and then going to a meta event or a Salesforce event. And so what, what's the tipping point and how much are um, the enthusiasm around NFTs dri driving this the, the, the topic? Um, most people are still concerned about, does this require physical hardware? Um, is it a glass? Is, is it something I have to wear in order to participate? So there's a lot of conversations, but, but the good news is that people are talking about it and some trailblazers are actually, are actually yeah, more I mean, than talking about it, they're implementing. These objections are real. And Arthur, what are you seeing on the rejection side uh, in terms of what's happening as objections to the metaverse? Is it hype back to the original question there? Yeah, hopefully you can see me. So I think one of the naysayers must have actually, you know, uh, hit. <laughs> Sabotaged you know, <laughs> So I'm, I'm here in Florida, and, and my theory is the uh, Bitcoin conference is, is using up so much electricity right now in Miami <laughs> that it uh, it hit me pretty good. So, listen, I think there are two kinds of um, naysayers. I mean, naturally, when you have a, a brand new technology or you're at the beginning of a hype cycle, you know, you have the general public that gets excited for a bit, you know, period of time. And we saw that over November and over the holidays. Uh, you know, you saw it in you saw really pop culture start to embrace the metaverse and crypto and, you know, what's taking place. And then after a couple of weeks of you know, all of the attention around that, I think people started to turn a little bit negative. And, you know, along with that, just in the in, in the real day to day action, you started to see some fluctuation and volatility when it comes to uh, some of the NFT drops and some of the currencies. Right. So that was one thing that took place. Um, secondly, within the community itself, you know, there, there's a real massive amount of people today that are online in Twitter, in Discord with their avatars, with their personalities. They're out there conducting business. They're building the metaverse brick by brick. They're, they're bringing Web3 and blockchain and DAOs together with uh, NFTs and with the metaverse experience. And within that environment, they're starting to see corporations now, right? Show up just like traditional corporations. And I think they're getting frustrated. It's kind of like, if, if you remember 30 years ago at the outset of the internet, you know, kind of uh, the, the, you know, the DARPA days, right? There was a whole community that said, hey, no corporations, no commerce. We don't want to see like the average citizen jump on this internet thing. Um, and eventually, of course, the world took over and the internet became what it is. Um, I don't think that's going to happen in the metaverse, but you definitely have a group of early trendsetters that have basically said, look, things are really in a futuristic way of communication and operation here. Uh, corporations, you're going to have to adapt and adjust a little bit and actually get a little bit more hip to what's going on in the market if you actually want to be taken seriously and be authentic in the space. You know, it's a great point, right? And and data portability, what while I was talking about, the ability to actually move avatars into different worlds. Will we have closed worlds, open worlds? Those are questions people are asking. It's 1997. Is Ask Jeeves around? Or not yet. Hey, wait, is Google <laughs> around? No. Um, is it is it right. going to be Internet Explorer or Netscape? And and so the standards are being defined. The Web 3.0 technologies are there. We look at the metaverse by talking about interfaces, worlds, DAOs, blockchain, and what happens in the Web 3.0 world. Um, what do I need to get started other than everyone's like, hey, I got 
got my NFT. That's pretty cool. Now what do we do with it? Like, like what are you helping clients do to get beyond that POC, you know, for the year just to say we got this cool thing up there and get serious about business? Yeah, I think, well, I'll tell you the first thing, the, the demand right now, the interest is massive, right? And it's, mm-hmm. it's not just the marketing department and the CMOs arena. Uh, you know, it's all the way up to CEOs that are wondering, hey, what's yep. going on? A lot of their point of view uh, and CFOs as well comes from the fact that there's just a lot of, you know, understanding right now about what's going on in, in the whole fintech arena, in the in the blockchain arena, uh, the opportunities with currency, uh, with alternative and decentralized currencies and, and what kind of strategy should you should you have. But product owners, service owners are looking at it and saying, hey, we've got to do something. We've got to establish our presence. We've got to get a brand out there. Uh, the first thing people are asking us about are, you know, how do I educate my team, right? How do I start to build culture and capability? And for us, that's what speed is all about, helping companies have the culture and capability to succeed, not just, you know, one time in, in a one-shot effort or in some type of gimmicky way, but to build for the long-term and for the future. Uh, secondly, people are saying, you know, what kind of use cases apply to my industry, my business, my geography, um, my specific customer set. So working through use cases, uh, really getting in there, getting out of the whiteboard and kind of into the into the laboratory uh, and testing things out is really critical and important where we're helping clients right now. And, you know, the third thing I'd say is we're stepping back and really helping people with their strategy. So what do they want to do today? You know, six months from now, which is a lifetime away, uh, two years from now, how do they have the infrastructure? How do they build experiences? Uh, how do they create long-term collaborative relationships with their client sets? Um, and really use this as an opportunity to expand customer bases. That is one of the absolute, um, you know, wh- whether you're a believer or a non-believer, there is no doubt that loyalty, um, the opportunity to grow and to hit an entire new segment of the marketplace around the world uh, has never been higher. Uh, and you can look at, you know, I, I was just, um, I was down in Miami uh, two days ago, and of course the Bitcoin conference is taking Woo-hoo. place there. You have, I'll tell you what, you have people from every corner of the earth that transcended, uh, you know, into Miami, uh, all parts of Asia, all parts of Africa, all parts of Latin America. Mm-hmm. and from countries that many corporations, you know, have barely scratched the surface of doing business. And now it's all virtual and online with tens and hundreds of millions of people that are transacting in a digital manner that are buying NFTs, that are getting excited about the space, that are using augmented, uh, you know, I mean, think about Axie Infinity, right? Which is, mm. you know, that that's one of the many different companies and, and platforms that came up, you know, giving people in, third, fourth, fifth world nations, an opportunity to to game and to actually earn tokens and income, um, you know, just from participating in the Axie Infinity environment. Uh, Zed horse racing, right, which everybody looked at and said, wow, that's crazy. All of a sudden, you now have people selling virtual horses for six, seven hundred thousand dollars that are earning tens of thousands of dollars a day that didn't have any income by having a fractional share of a DAO and actually racing those horses. So you're seeing massive communities converge and spend large portions of their day here. Incredible. Arthur, when you're talking to uh, a CFO, and I'm assuming CFO is probably the persona that will have conversations with you about risk, compliance, security, yeah. privacy. Um, what are some of the what are, what are some of the concerns? And it may not be the CFO. It may be CEO, as you said. What are, how do you guide the, the, the discussion around risk associated with, you know, digital wallets, crypto, DAOs, uh, and frankly, an environment where we don't necessarily have compliance and regulatory guiding uh, what we can and cannot do, especially if you're a public corporation? Yeah, there, there are four you know, things that I think CFOs are really thinking about today. Um, you know, first of all, you have an extreme volatility risk, um, especially when you have uh, various, you know, depending on what the project or the effort might look like, depending on what the target audience might look like, whether, you know, you're going full-fledged metaverse into the NFT realm and trying to attract a client base 
whether you're starting to think about decentralized cryptocurrencies, you know, for example, could you use Bitcoin to do intercompany transfers rather than uh, sending money to divisions by wire and through 18 different banks and incurring fees? Um, you know, so the, the, first of all, there are regulatory considerations. There are volatility considerations when you think about, uh, you know, are things like Bitcoin and Ethereum, you know, pegged to a stable coin? And do they have, um, you know, every, every day we see five, 10 percent up and down with, you know, just that's on a conservative day with different currencies. <laughs> but they yep, will get yep, stable. Yep. Every country is examining how to really convert their system now to a digital framework uh, and to the blockchain itself. Um, so volatility is one. Uh, service level risk, you know, when you're starting to engage as a brand with your clients is a, is a critical consideration. Uh, security, for sure. And, you know, you've seen so many different security instances. Um, social engineering, where people have been uh, duped out of their own keys. And, you know, they've had oh, their yeah. uh, accounts, whether it's Binance or OpenSea, completely wiped out. They've had their NFTs taken away from them. Uh, ho horrific stories like that. Yeah. Uh, you've seen different hacks of platforms. So there's absolutely going to be a phase where everybody's got to double and triple down on, you know, platform security. Yeah. Um, but there are platforms that are going to be here to stay. And then, look, the final thing I'll say is there's environmental concerns and risks, right? Sure. Um, that's sure. part of the reason we see Ethereum taking it seriously. And I, I applaud the community for, you know, moving from the early phase platform and now starting to migrate to Ethereum 2, where, uh, you know, the, all of the... Uh, rightfully so, all of the attention they've gotten for, uh, you know, the amount of electricity they're burning to uh, to mint the blockchain, you know, is starting to shift into a whole new realm. Yeah, changing the way we do proof of stake. I mean, that's a huge yeah, issue. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, so miners might not be shift. happy, but yeah, it's important. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a huge issue. Hey, look, Arthur, thank you for being here. Arthur's the chief growth officer at Publicis Sapient. More importantly, you can follow him at Twitter at A-R-T-H-U-R-F-I-L-I-P. We're going to have to catch up and meet you in the metaverse. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. Uh, taking I one of your lines. You was... Hey, <laughs> thanks, thanks a lot. And it was really fun being on your webinars uh, yesterday with your team. So, all right, take care. So thanks Cheers. for being here. See you in the green room. Yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible to see growth officers really thinking about this set of emerging technologies as a driver for growth. Um, and our next guest, Sam Simmons, is the chief strategy officer for NFT stadiums, a fan first. I love that. I'm, I'm from Boston, so my whole life is <laughs> going to four different pro teams all the time. A fan first NFT platform dedicated to bring fans closer to their favorite brands across sports, gaming, entertainment, music, and more. Prior to entering the Web3 space, Sam spent several years in media as president of PokerGo, where he won industry awards for content programming and digital marketing while leading a multi-channel distribution strategy across linear and streaming platforms. Sam is a board ape yacht club holder. <laughs> when we meet the barbecue, Sam's treating and consults advices <laughs> and invests in a variety of Web3 projects. You can follow his company at NFT Stadiums IO. Welcome Sam to Disrupt TV. Thank you guys. Thanks for having me. I will say though that I don't think free food is a part of the Ford Ape Utility Program, but I'll have to, <laughs> I'll, I'll have to check on that. <laughs> I like that. That's awesome. Hey, look, you know, I, I've always want to be welcome to the arena. I want my Genesis uh, tokens, and uh, I think that's kind of where the world is heading. But let's take a step back for the folks that are watching and that might not know what an NFT is. I'm sure it's going to be mainstream in about three months when my mom tells me she's bought an NFT. Uh, we're getting close to that point in time. But let's let's start with it. What is an NFT, and uh, why is it so important beyond you know the, the this consumer things that we've seen, right? There's there's other things that are people doing with NFTs. Yeah, it's a it's a great question, and I think that if you were to ask a hundred people that question, you'd probably get a hundred different answers, which goes to show how confusing and. Uh, I guess, nebulous of a space this is now in the technology on the whole. I like to think of it as a digital asset whose ownership is authenticated through blockchain technology. And that could be a wide variety of things, everything from collectibles to artwork uh, to gaming tokens and so on and so forth. But really, to me, the real the real power of this technology boils back to building connections. So I think of it as a, as a mechanism for connectivity between not only brands, customers, brands and fans, but also between fans and fans, between customers and customers, and the capacity that has to build community and the benefits that generates to 
the ecosystem on the whole within a brand's consumer universe and so on and so forth. So there's a lot of different use cases of this technology. I think that we're in a bit of a, you mentioned the board ape stuff. I think we're in a bit of a, a weird time <laughs> where a lot of, a lot of the, the, the most public use cases that we often see in the mainstream around Justin Bieber paying, I want to say it was like a million plus dollars for a board ape. That's what people have in mind. But I think once you start to peel back the layers on the onion a little bit and really begin to understand the power that this technology has in disrupting the fandom experience, uh, I think it goes to show exactly what all of this actually actually is and what it can be. And that's really what NFT Stadium is striving to do is create an experience at a fandom that extends extends to the digital realm, i.e. the metaverse, to circle back to our conversation here and do so in a way that is immersive and additive to the existing fandom experience in a way that's special and it ultimately stands to reward the whole IP holder ecosystem. Sam, I, I'm, I'm on the Red Sox uh, advisory board. Um, I work with the Boston Celtics. I work with the New England Patriots. Um, so I, I'm what in front job. of ownership and the senior leadership of the, all the pro teams in Boston. Help me. How do I, how do I guide these folks in terms of fan experience and NFTs? What are some cool experiences that I can share with them next time at a board meeting. So one, I can sound smart and two, I can help them grow their fan base. <laughs> absolutely. And I, and I can guarantee that that's probably a conversation that they're already having. Yeah, and it just, it's, it's, it's about steering the ship, I suppose, right, into, right. into the right Harbor. That's right. Um, so I think the example that I always go back to, and I'm going to, I, I apologize in advance for using this specific example. I just always do. I don't mean to rub salt in any wound, but let's say I'm a fan of Tom Brady. Um, and I love him. And I, and <laughs> I still I, I, do. I still just, do. <laughs> I know he's, he's become so likable in recent years for better or worse. I'm also, I'm an Atlanta Falcons fan. So I, okay. I hated the guy. Oh, for the time, bro. Okay. I was at that game. Sorry. I don't want to get, oh. started, but it was, it was the whole thing. I, that's, that's a whole, that's a whole separate podcast. I'm not ready to rehash. Moving to our next guest. Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyways, anyways, we're just kidding. We're just kidding. We're just kidding. Sidetrack, sidetrack. Um, so if I if I'm a fan of Tom Brady, the it, it is normal behavior to go into the team shop and buy a jersey of Tom Brady. Sure. Not so much. It certainly isn't as an investment mechanism. I'm not doing that to theoretically take this jersey and sell it for a higher dollar amount at some point right. down the road. It is a way for me to not only signify my passion uh, tied to the the team, the player, the sport, whatever it may be. Not only signify that to others, but build connections with others. And it kind of plays back into what NFT Stadium is all about. We strive, so it was mentioned earlier around like the, the, the COVID pandemic and how that has accelerated to the nth degree, this process of digital adoption, metaverse, and so on. We, 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 our premise is built around the, really the absence of live events for that period of time. And I think we've very quickly realized how intimate of an experience it is to be in a stadium watching a sporting event with tens if not hundreds of thousands of fans that share that same passion as you. But, this, but A, before you get into that stadium and B, when you leave that stadium, that, that experience is rather disconnected. It has, it has a lifetime to it of three, four, whatever it is, hours that you spend at that arena. However, with NFTs, it stands to build connections, not only between team and fan, but like I mentioned earlier, with fan and fan on an ongoing basis. So that's what we're trying to create experiences around is creating, I guess, more immersive experiences and fandom in a digital way leading up to not, not to replace the existing sort of in-person fandom experience, but be additive to in various ways. And again, I, I, I'm going to keep harping on it, but not only it's, it's not only about, you know, getting, getting like you would want to amplify jersey sales it's not about maximizing the people purchasing your tokens if i'm the team it's about creating experiences between the fans to make that fandom experience more enriching and then and then in turn creating sort of brand advocates brand loyalists out of these fans such that the entire ecosystem expands through network effects great explanation you know let's break down the type of digital assets that you'd see in an NFT and then talk about how smart contracts bring you between the asset and the buyer. Because I think a lot of people are like, oh, cool, NFT, NFT. And like, uh, yeah, how do I own this thing? And what happens yeah. and what are the rules behind it? Um, and then we'll get back to a point about um, how the DAOs play a role in all that in the automation. But let's start there. All right, so go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I'm. I'll just. I'll be the first to say I'm by no means a very techie person. It was uh, my background is in media, specifically streaming media. So I've I've made my career on super serving passion audiences. In particular, my background's in poker, so that is 
um, you know, how I, how I translated into this and why I thought NFTs were so special in the fact that it creates that connectivity and allows people to really in a deeper way, experience their passions. I think the critical aspect of the smart contract piece and how the tech plays into it is that verified ownership aspect. Yeah. And a lot yeah. of, a lot of the utility that is unlocked and the experiences that are unlocked as such is around being able to say, Hey, I own a piece of this, whatever this is, whether it be the, the, the a team collectible, a project, it obviously that def, that definition will vary drastically depending on the specific use case we're talking about here. But basically the NFT as a token will be embedded within the smart contract and within the universe that the that the the brand has built in this case, yeah. you could then you basically can go in and say, Hey, by connecting my wallet, which holds this token, I am confirming in a sense that I'm a true fan of this team. And thus, by being a true fan, I am owed specific benefits that other people may not get to experience. And these that can vary so drastically. I think that ultimately the the best use cases have yet to be revealed. What I'm really excited for is a lot of the in-person elements to this and how sort of the, the digital pairs in with the physical. And I mentioned the additive benefits to the in-person experiences, but imagine being able to go to your favorite sports game and having a lounge dedicated to NFT holders only where they get certain access, whether that be like experiences with meet and greets and getting to meet players, personalities and so on and so forth. And then obviously too, I think there's a big play here in the geographies of all this and how that applies where I mentioned earlier that I'm, Unfortunately, I'm a Falcons fan and I'm based out of Las Vegas. So how I'm, I'm really left hung out to dry in a way from being able to actually go, although yeah. I wish I hadn't made that Super Bowl, um, being able to actually, actually go experience my favorite team. But when you, when you tie the metaverse into this and creating these digital experiences, no matter where you are in the world, it allows equal opportunity to experience that fandom in a very real and immersive way. So I think it's, it's just fascinating to me how NFTs are unlocking opportunities to pair real world passions with digital identity across various mediums, channels, metaverse included. It's, uh, but by the way, I used to travel with Tom Brady to away games and for what it's worth, he's an incredibly nice guy. That makes it worse actually. <laughs> Yeah, no, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, he was surrounded by sisters. I don't know, his upbringing, his parents. He's an incredibly nice guy. Anyway, uh, for a different discussion. Um, you know, the, I, I think about going to games with traditional tickets. Um, and if you have premium seating, maybe your ticket is bigger and fancier looking. Uh, you know, you go to a, an NFL game, you see folks wearing it uh, around their neck and and in the future, listening to you, it feels like if your digital wallet holds team NFTs and the team is aware that you're on premise, really your, your, your blue check mark in the future is the type of NFTs you hold in your wallet. And you may get backstage access. You may get to bid on in-event in, in artifacts like the last football that's thrown. You are exclusively invited to bid on that ball gamify it. Some of that revenue goes to charity of the team's choice, but it's a purpose-led incremental revenue only available to folks that have NFTs of the team showing that they're true fans. Is this how we're going to see a new business model innovation in sports where people's uh, NFTs give them the street cred and the, and the exclusivity to certain services that the average fan will not have uh, accessible to them? Yeah, I think I think in a sense that's right. I think there is there will be there will be an element of exclusivity to it of having a having the benefits of being a, a diehard fan where you put your flag in the ground and say I love and support this team such that I I'm going to collect X Y Z. I'm going to buy these NFT drops and that will come with certain rewards, benefits, access, privileges, and so on. That, the, that those holders will be able to redeem on an ongoing basis. I think there's something to be said too about the inclusiveness of this as well. And I mentioned the geogra geographical element of this where everyone, no matter if they're local to the region where the, the, the events are taking right. place, but no matter where they are in the world, they'll be able to enjoy their passion in some capacity. Um, I think too, that, that this ties in well, should have lost my train of thought here. Um, I, I lost that there, but no, I think, I think you're right. I think that it's, it's opening up a, a new medium for, oh, I got it. Uh, so imagine, so I always think about the Jersey example again, but imagine if, a, if you were to go to a sports team and say, 
you know, what if you were able to like, like you have a marketing list and you're able to access any fan who has ever purchased a Tom Brady jersey? Like, how valuable would that be to be able to serve sure. offers to these people, to market to these people, to connect with these people in various ways and and put them through various experiences and touch points throughout your franchise's ecosystem? That's really what NFTs is to me. It's just an opportunity to give something the fans of value that they will reap ongoing benefits from through utility while also allowing the team to in turn create a deeper connection with these individuals and obviously that has a ton of applications across ticket sales merchandise uh various other things that that, that it's turning what is what is today a was very highly transactional and is part of a traditional marketing funnel is turning that into a benefit to the users yeah. like it's, it's it's flipping the script entirely on its head and it's expanding the landscape. I mean, how would the oh, yeah. land, how would the uh, uh, the Falcons reach someone in Las Vegas if it wasn't through digital properties? Because if you go to your mall in Las Vegas trying to find a Falcons jersey, you're not going to find it. Uh, you know, maybe it's a large store, and you will, but it's it's I, not I, there. It's not there. <laughs> I, I yeah. It's not there. It's so, not there. It's so, not there. And, and I, I suspect there are many Tom Brady fans outside of New England and Florida. You know, folks that may have moved, uh, generally speaking, I think it's pretty exclusively East Coast. But yeah. yeah, this 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 ability to expand the arena is is hugely should be hugely important for for pro teams. Yeah, it makes, yeah. It makes total sense. Yeah. So hey, so how do we get started? How do we how do we mine a Genesis token? Like, uh, what do people do to get there? Like, tell us more about the platform, what it does, and and kind of how it works. So. Yeah, so so we're we're in the very early stages of all of this, but the, the the best entry point right now we do have our Genesis collection that launched, and our the theory behind that is if you're a fan of this sport or activity, you're going to be a fan of this and a fan of that. It's you know there's a lot of uh, cross indexing across the various IP we're going to be bringing on board. We're very heavily focused right now in in sports and gaming. So for sports fans looking to engage with various NFT programs, NFT Stadium is a great place to go for that. The Genesis token that we launched very recently uh we'll, we'll grant certain benefits on platform reduced fees early access to new mints uh various like you know just private discord groups and alpha channels things like that and then starting next week actually we're going to start rolling out with our first ip partners and i can't give away too much information Ooh. on that it's in it's in the gaming sector let's just say uh it's in a it's in a activity that i'm deeply passionate about and it's mm. it's uh, to me it's 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 a I, you know, I, I spent NFT LA last week. I was out there uh, talking to people about this concept and everyone that I've spoken with has loved it. It's one that uh, very immersive and really the premise of it is in a very real way, bringing people closer to the action of this gaming slash sport activity that most people very aspirationally previously were watching from afar on television. So it's all very exciting. Now is a great time to get in. But even outside of just the NFT stadium ecosystem, I always tell people to first off, do your own research. Second off, there are there's a plethora across discords across social media there's yeah. plenty of ways to engage with the various communities in nfts without necessarily needing to make the jump to get involved but i'll even say further once you are ready to make that jump to getting involved there's a stat that was published recently there's, there's a misperception out there that the, you know nfts cost hundreds of thousands of dollars again that goes back to the mainstream use cases of board apes and whatnot that make for sexy headlines but over half of nfts are selling for less than 200 dollars. so yeah. especially yeah. when you when you drill down into the, the the passion areas that are currently represented via nfts there's not a huge barrier to entry to getting involved it really comes back to a you know deciding what that passion is and finding ways to engage in that via nfts which ultimately nft stadium will be doing our best to advance that in various ways but then b it's about education and just realizing what this brings you and going beyond that next step uh, beyond the level of i'm buying jpegs to i'm buying rich deep utility i'm buying a connection with what i love i'm buying access to a community which shares that love through a like-minded sort of organization i suppose and then getting involved that way. So I think that's 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 the big thing to me. I think it's it's a matter of you know ex activity, participation, and then education. Sam, how do you how do you reach the sixteen to eighteen? You know, kids that buy four hundred dollar Nike Air Jordans 
and, and authentic all-star jerseys and this, that, and the other. No problem. They save money. Their parents take them to the mall. They buy it. <laughs> I speak out of experience <laughs> with my 12-year-old. That would never you, happen. You know, that would never yeah. happen. <laughs> they don't have access to Ethereum, Coinbase, MetaMask. They're, they're, not, they're not crypto holders. They can't legally, I suppose. And even college students who may not, you know, um, have the awareness in terms of how to transact in this new in this new world. How do you how do you get to the younger younger audience sure. who are fanatic gamers and and sports fans? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I don't I don't have. I wish I had the answer to that. I think yeah. we're all kind of trying to find that in real time. I do think that as as that generation matures, I think that's actually the, the easy part, so to speak, yeah. where these are these are digitally native, uh, I guess, children today, but eventually adults, not tomorrow, but in the future, yeah. where they're used to this behavior. They're used yeah. to assigning value to digital, digital totally. assets. They're used to the flow of purchasing this in a way that gives them clout that my son is their... buying digital skins on Fortnite every week they're exactly. absolutely ready exactly I, I just you know just how to yeah we gotta somehow yeah and and, and that yeah. must and that must make you sick because you mentioned it does <laughs> that, that, you mentioned interoperability earlier like what if Fortnite shuts down i still i'll tell you i'm showing my hand a little bit here i'm a call of duty warzone guy okay just, right. oh there we go fight but despite my industry expertise, I'm still buying stupid skins. So whatever it is, whatever, whatever it is, they're doing something right. Even they're competitive. They, got, they want to win. I know. Uh, I, just know got, I, want to, I want to look cool for my friends. That's right. Um, we uh, we no, are here I, I, with Sam Simmons, CSO <laughs> of NFT Stadium. You can follow the company Twitter handle at NFT Stadium IO. And uh, more importantly, we should catch up in Las Vegas. Uh, it's, uh, I'm here a lot. So <laughs> looking forward to we that. We love having you here. Um, and of course, we got to catch you at, at the NFT conferences. What conferences are you going to in the next four months? Let's hit them all. We, oh, that's a great question. We talked to, we, I think in the green room, we talked about this. I feel like if I went to every conference, I'd never be home. Like it's just like a world, it's like a world tour where you could just really, constantly yep, yep, be yep. going to a different conference. I think the next one on my docket would be NFT NYC. So if anyone's there, give me a shout. Um, and yeah, I'm, uh, but I, I, who knows? I make, I make my, my schedule up week to week. So I may drop yeah. it and surprise you all at some point. That's awesome. All right, cool. Maybe we'll see a consensus coin desk. That'd be fun too. Um, all right. Thanks a lot. Thanks for being here and uh, happy Friday. We'll see you in the green room. Thanks. Sir. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Cheers. Uh, we don't often get guests <laughs> with Bitcoin hats. That's kind of cool. I got to get me some. All right. This is our, we've been talking basketball and football. This is our cleanup hitter spot where our last guest comes and hits a grand slam. Uh -oh. And with that, you know, yeah. I, Lewis, Lewis, so I don't know if I'll be able to hit much of a grand slam. <laughs> Lewis Willingham is a senior vice president of innovation at Media Monks. A problem solver who identifies innovative digital opportunities, Lewis helps usher brands and partners into the future and creative and technical expertise at the forefront of digital transformation and virtualization. Lewis designed new protocols, tools, technologies to drive projects and success, keeping his finger on the pulse of technological advancements to simplify complex challenges. Lewis is a Lumiere Award winner, a Guinness World Record holder, Ray. It's a first. If you need about 900 guests, I don't believe you have a Guinness World Record holder. And has been profiled in the New York Times and Campaign and has been featured on CNBC, Business Insider, and H Fast Company, and many more major media publications. Lewis is sought after keynote speaker. You can follow him on Twitter at Smittingham. I welcome Lewis to the Shrub TV. Okay, hey, world record holder. You can't have us hang. Yeah, let's start there. Let's, let's forget everything else. What is yeah. the Guinness World Record here? I'm actually in the book. Like, you know, the book you had next to your bed that you bought at the Scholastic Book Fair in 95? Like, yeah, I, yeah, the paperback one. Yeah, so I'm in the book um, for world's first uh, VR narrative series uh, in 2017. Whoa. I had a VR company this uh, before all this stuff. I think part of this hype cycle, somebody on the call earlier mentioned that, like, metaverse is worth 80 trillion dollars and i do believe there's substantial value over time but like i think it's super important we temper our expectations a bit uh, i remember when i started my vr startup like vr was going to be a 50 billion dollar industry or zillion or something by 2022 and like i don't have a yacht yet so <laughs> i do actually that's not true i have i have yachts in virtual spaces but uh not, not a physical yacht that's a pretty nice room behind you that's a pretty extensive library so you're doing okay <laughs> he's got physical he's got physical assets that's, let's just remember that's that part of the with this you know i shout out to the fact that on this call we're not replicating the new york san francisco la paradigm 
pretty much everybody is outside of those cities. True. And that's a big part of this metaverse thing. It doesn't matter where you are. It matters what you do and how you do it. I love that. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And, you know, w w when we talk about, you know, where that metaverse is headed, what's happening in the next role, I mean, what, how are you guys thinking about the metaverse? And we're going to ask every guest that only because it's, we're coming yeah, at it for yeah. so many different angles. We're just at the beginning of the, the definition and we, we haven't got to a definitive answer. So, so what is that for you guys right now? I mean, so I have a, I have a bit of a contrarian view. Um, I look, so I personally don't completely love the word metaverse. It's a bit, Mm -hmm. sci-fi-ish like i i feel like i should have a hoverboard and like we're all gonna be in vr and like look man i'm a, i'm a tech nerd like i'll be the first person who gets an implant like let's go i'll get another guinness for that <laughs> i think there's a guy in norway with one already yeah, the yeah, point yeah. is but we have to acknowledge that there is this foundational shift going on within our society when people are like oh this metaverse thing it's all hype my response or my clapback is usually like would you think about Facebook in 2005? Hmm. Would you would you think about MySpace? And like I I remember so my college uh, in Santa Cruz is like the third or fourth school that got it. I have a very embarrassing Facebook page that dra tracks back all the way to there. But I remember <laughs> uh, it's just some small thing I'm going to find parties with. But it's huge, and I think what we have to agree is where value is being created again within our culture exactly. is foundational exactly. shifting and value is two things. Value is financial value. And there's been a lot of talk on this call about money in the metaverse and virtual goods costing money. I live in a town where there's like Fortnite. where I live in Raleigh. So not too far from here is Fortnite row where all the Fortnite millionaires live. Uh, Cause Epic games is based out of here. And that's a game that's free, but makes like $17 billion a year. Like, and so we have to agree that even in the most simplistic metaverse term, there's massive, massive financial value. Massive, massive. And even when you're talking, and obviously there's going to be purists who are like, well, that's not connected to change, so it's not metaverse. And okay, cool. We can have that conversation about the first three Black Flag records as well at another time. But anyway, <laughs> the point is with this whole thing, like value is changing financially. It's also changing culturally. And where we place meaning and where we place value from a culture from a community as individuals is changing virtually you know the vast majority of my social life is online it's engaged it's whether it's in three-dimensional spaces or on discords it's in spaces that aren't irl spaces you know i think that term where people say like oh wasted time on your phone screen time it's wasted blah 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 it's like, dude, <laughs> you don't know what I'm doing, man. Like, this is how I connect. And right. that's not me dissing on IRL. Like, my favorite hobby, I'm a scuba diver. But I also spend most of my time, like, socializing and interacting in virtual spaces and virtual worlds. So when we acknowledge that, like, there is this foundational shift, and I think in a more grandiose way, Klaus Schwab talks about the fourth uh, industrial revolution, yeah. which I would argue we are... Well, I've seen, I saw a study the other day that said we're in the primordial phase. So we're in the like fish frog phase or whatever. I don't remember is. the second revolution or the third, but call me up, you know. <laughs> Are we in the fifth one? Let's just call the fifth one now. We're in the fifth now. So the point is, is we're in the shift. And like at some point we'll be in the Cretaceous phase of this and there'll be dinosaurs. But like the point is something massive is happening. And how value is created and how industry is created and like obviously the pandemic played a part but realistically all this is shifting but none of it matters until it feels inevitable it's all yeah. technology technology is is cool but like it doesn't matter until it feels like it's a part of your life until it feels commonplace sure and that's no. that's really where we are it makes total sense and i think it was sam who used the term our prior previous guest um yep. digital native uh, I'm a digital immigrant. I wasn't born mobile, social in the cloud, gaming, yep. you know, so, but I have an 11, 15, 19 year old. I remember just one generation. I remember when I was their age, the first time my parents brought a big screen TV, maybe a 40, 50 inch TV <laughs> at home. And I was like the most incredible thing in the I world. Mean. And my three kids don't give a shit about television. I've got 75 inch TVs all across my home. They're never watching TV. Yeah, this, I this, said, is, this, this is a 65 inch LG, and I sit watching TikTok in front of her. <laughs> That's exactly. I'm watching like Silicon Valley on the couch, 
with the TV <laughs> off on my phone. I'm like, what? <laughs> that is my house. I think I'm the only old fart that's still watching TV. <laughs> and even then, I could say I'm probably spending more time on the screen, yeah. mobile screens. So that's yeah. just one generation shift. Um, so, and, and our previous guest talked about more access, geographic access with things like Metaverse, where you don't have to be localized to be a fan or a loyal yep. advocate of a brand. Um, what are your thoughts about when we talk about Metaverse and creator economy, Web3 and all of these new technologies? Are we going to be more diverse, more welcoming, more inclusive world as I a mean, result that's of this? A super, that's a super tough thing. Like my problem with a lot of these spaces is I'm seeing like hegemony just replicate itself right over again. Yep, yep, and yep. I just, I'm a, like a New York refugee to some, some degree where I, I left New York six months ago. New York is supposed to be like the most connected city in the world. Something like a third of people don't have broadband. And, or, or driver's licenses, but keep going. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a driver's license either, so like, fair enough. But like, man, there's no roads that, you don't need a driver's license in Fortnite. Anyway, the point is, like, a third of people in New York City don't have access to the internet. And when you say broadband, like we're talking about the government's definition of broadband, which like, yeah. that's not broadband, man. Like, <laughs> no, 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 I think they define it as like 20 megs, which is yeah, like, yeah. nah, dude, no, I can't even play at the lowest <laughs> settings on that. And so the, the point is, is like, we are never going to get diversity, inclusivity, if we don't start thinking about this as a form of access. Like you look at, Estonia does this really, really well. Yeah, the best. Yeah. The best. It, yeah. It's like access to internet is a basic human right there. Absolutely. And it sounds grandiose and ridiculous yeah. to say that like access to internet is as as important as access to water. But yeah. access to internet in this day and age means access to capital, access to the ability to work, access to the ability to get paid ridiculously high rates to do crazy stuff like build yeah. worlds in Roblox or mint nfts all that sort of stuff does not happen if you don't have access to that and i think like there's really really fascinating meaningful interesting stuff that's happening with brands and with telecoms where they're reaching out and they're they're looking at building that stuff but again my biggest fear right now is straight up lack of access and lack of the ability but what's great about these spaces somebody said this earlier and we were talking to our our new actually head of recruiting and head of diversity who was talking about, you know, maybe instead of looking at what people's LinkedIn pages are, we start looking at what their Roblox resumes are like and how yeah. they show up in Discord and all that sort of stuff where people show up not based upon what private high school they went to, but based yeah. upon what they do and what they make. And that's that. something that like is super, super interesting and meaningful for me. Yeah, that. we're definitely going to Their digital presence... Yeah. Plus, as Ray says, digital exhaust, those unintended consequences of things yep. they leave behind, which reveal their character, cultural fit, all of that. I totally love exactly. it. Yeah. yeah, and we're also seeing that. I mean, we, we have examples when we think about 43 use cases of the metaverse. One of them is uh, recruiting, right? Uh, yeah. Recruiting can change. We If we want to, uh, I get some interesting uh, feedback yesterday in my LinkedIn post, like, what do you mean? They're going to track us with all that data. But no, we could do non-biased recruiting. Right. I mean, I can't right, right now. I, I, I could tell from your accent kind of where you were based in the country. I can tell by the words you choose. I can tell by skin color. I make those assumptions. Yeah. Right. And there's, you know, it's, it's, you know, bias I'm not thinking about. Right. I mean, it's, it's unconscious bias that could happen in the interview. My avatar interviews your avatar. Oh, that's gonna be a different story. Right. I put you on a training run. That's going to be a different story. And we can make that happen if we want to. The technology is there for good or for bad. And, and that takes us to the conversation point about ethical implications. right? Yeah. I mean, what, what can we do to take out bad actors, do it the right way this time? We say this every time we, we have new technology. Yeah. Can we do it better? Is it going to happen and, in the right way? And just know my avatar will not have any gray hairs and the teeth are white <laughs> and straight. <laughs> So, so I'm, well, hoping, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping for, I'm hoping for some my avatar. <laughs> my avatar is pretty much hair. And so, like, <laughs> you have great hair. I wouldn't touch that. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I, I mean, so, like, it's a tough one. Like, look, I'm a, a cis white presenting dude. And so, like, I don't get harassed in these spaces. And I, mm -hmm. I agree. Like, technology inherently, in, creates a space where the most toxic and the most sort of trolly people look man i was playing 
very inappropriate games on my TI-85 in algebra, which is the graphing calculator. Like it's, you give <laughs> someone technology and they will immediately do something bad with it, generally speaking. And it's, it's super, super hard. I think the more voices we get in these spaces, the more we're able to actually bring people directly in. I think we do get to an interesting space where self-policing sort of occurs. I think the indelibility of the virtual space inherently creates a thing where people do check themselves a little bit better. Um, and But at the same time, it's going to be problematic. It's not going to be easy to get rid of trolls. I'm a person that, like, I grew up go like, going to a bunch of punk venues where we police toxic behaviors really, really well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Out. And there are communities here that are gathering together to police these spaces and to create really interesting new sets of values. I think the thing that's great is, like, once it's on chain, you can't hide. Like yeah. that's indelible. And so that stuff will cause people to check themselves more and you'll end, and then inevitably get to a place where within their operability, you have the same register you have that the, well, that the airlines have, where people who are jerks to people get kicked off the planes. Yeah. And yeah. well, I'm still, yeah. I kind of look I'm forward still... to it. I kind of look forward to that <laughs> because I got to tell you, this is, you know, I'm very active on Twitter and I have to say the anonymous accounts are the ones that, uh, have no no check system. <laughs> no, there's nothing. They, they're loud. They're, they're uninformed most of the time, uh, and they're obnoxious. And and as soon as you put your name and your company, it's a different you know different person. And uh, so they have a license to just create nonsense. Uh, yeah. And so anonymity to me on social platform is is a big issue. Absolutely. And it creates a space as well. Like we have to think about permanence here. So like when we're talking about virtual worlds and stuff, I've had brands say, okay, should I buy space? Yeah. And you know, that's permanent. If you buy it, you're there. Yeah. Like what happens if your neighbor ends up being somebody really, really horrible and really, really sketchy. Um, yeah. I grew up out in East County, San Diego as a kid. And there was the, my mom was a knitter. And it's a weird side story. And the single greatest <laughs> wool store in the world, she used to go to all the time. And Airy Nations opened up a compound down the street. She stopped going to that wool store. Wow. And so that's what brands have to think about when they're building in these spaces is the permanence that you're doing. And all yeah. this ultimately comes back to like everything we've talked about today comes back to authenticity, yeah. creating with meaning, creating with value, providing something. So true. So true. Providing yeah. like. Love the map. Oh, no, no. I was going to say, I love the mountain empire, but keep going. So you're, you're talking. I mean, I think the thing with all this stuff is when brands go into this space and with honestly, not just brands, anyone, you need to think about what you're providing to these communities, exactly. what value you're creating. I think a lot, this is like a pre-web two callback, but there's, my opinion is the single greatest branded thing ever is a, there's a game called Chex Quest came out in the nineties by General Mills, Check Serial. And what Check Serial did, so this is the era of Doom 2. Like, Doom was the biggest thing in the world, <laughs> right? And every 10-year-old wanted to play, but it was a little too gory. I wasn't allowed to play. Like, I wanted so badly to play Doom. Oh, and Chex, yeah, I wish I'd been in this meeting. Chex licensed the engine to Doom. And, so, and reskinned Doom completely. And it's now like a serial character shooting milk at boogers. And put Chex Quest. Chex Quest. Yeah. No, dude, look it up. It's the coolest thing in the world. And they it is Chex Quest. I remember this. Yeah. It's a non-violent first-person shooter. I was like, what is a non-violent yeah. first-person shooter? It's yeah, I mean, milk. Remember, I got dude. milk guns. Here's the thing, man. They put two hundred thousand CD-ROMs in cereal boxes. Zero wow. CD-ROMs. That wow. corresponded to more than you've got mail. Yeah, that corresponded to a three hundred thousand percent increase. In the sale of Czech cereal. Unbelievable. The CD-ROM costs more than the cereal. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, dude, but here's the thing, man. I want to do video games. I'm going to do something that people actually wanted. And every 10-year-old in the world, their mind was blown because now awesome they can play Doom. Awesome and so story. when you're going to these virtual spaces, don't think about how I'm going to yeah. replicate this weird thing. Think about how I can provide an experience, how I can create a story, how I can get people to connect back, how we can 
do different things for people and provide value and you get to really magical, meaningful stuff. And to your point about ethics, the more value you bring and the more honest you are, the trolls go away. True. Like they do. They won't show up if somebody's True. being meaningful. But if you're a poser and you show up, Steve Bashami with a skateboarder board over your shoulder, you're gonna get kicked <laughs> out and people are gonna come down on you. And so the trick is to create value and to build community. Meaningful and magical. We'll Great state advice. there. Uh Lewis Smithingham, director of creative solutions at Media Monks. And of there course, you, you can follow him at Smithingham and we'll catch up with you in the RTP area at some point. So hey, thanks Thank a lot you, for Lewis. being here. Terrific Great. advice. Thank you, sir. Wow. We have a Guinness World Record holder on our show. <laughs> it took, it took, uh, never know what guests. to expect. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. And in the VR space, talk about yes. an unbelievable VR early series. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Okay. So um, obviously a metaverse show, all three of our guests talk to, I don't know. I, I'm not sure if NFTs are driving metaverse or metaverse is driving the NFTs, but the fact of the matter is, Every company needs to have these uh, emerging technologies on their radar. Ray, your summary of the aha moments from our three guests. <laughs> I thought we stopped doing these. Darn it. No, uh, <laughs> no your look. summaries are so great. I'm not going to stop and uh, asking. <laughs> so so, so we're, we're, we're at a point where we call this the great refactoring. You've heard me talk about it, where we work, when we work, how we work, even why we work has changed. Mission and purpose are taking a different meaning uh, in brands and corporations in terms of how they view things. And, you know, metaverse economy and the metaverse technologies that are behind here are really one of the fundamental technologies. We're in the middle of that shift, and we saw it from three different viewpoints, right? Arthur, who's really helping organizations figure out how to get themselves started. It's back like in the days of the 90s again where we're trying to get into the internet, like the 2000s when we're trying to get into mobile. It's the same feel, but we all know how to do this better. And you could see that and sense that from Arthur, right? And what's going on with like, you know, the conversation with, with Sam was really about, you know, this whole notion of bringing these worlds that were in the gaming world into other areas, right? And we're we're bringing fan experience to the next level. We're improving participation. And we started talking about that inclusion piece really with um, Lewis. And what's interesting about what's happening uh, with inclusion and how we're actually you know, figuring out how to create these new opportunities is that um, we will have a point where when, you know, we, you, and all, you and I have met Vince Cerf, right? And we've had those conversations, right? And the whole point of the internet, the point was to connect everybody. Well, I think the metaverse is going to do that at a scale we never dreamed of. It will blow Vince Cerf's mind, even though that's a really, really, really big mind. And, yeah, and that's yeah, all that's coming point. together, right? Um, yeah. All those things are there. The problem is, and we come back to this in every piece of this conversation and future conversations, is that humans are humans. And regardless of the technology, there's always going to be good people and there's going to be bad people. And that good versus evil, um, it's up to us to figure out how to harness the power of good. Right? How to bring things in a way um, that you know, allow a diverse set of voices, um, but doesn't offer disinformation, allow us to have freedom of speech without uh, creating hate, right? And it's those balances that we have to get good at. And the problem is in the Web 2.0 world, we were triggered. We were triggered by, you know, dog whistles everywhere to get people active and emotional, and we lost the ability to think in logic. And I hope we come back to the point where we can come back and understand there's a spectrum of outcomes. Here's the spectrums we want to play with. And what are the ones that, you know, tie back to your brand, your value, and your mission so that when we engage and create new immersive experiences, we reflect those inside of ourselves as individuals and what's happening in enterprise and organizations. Don't do this to me again. No, I don't know what I'm talking about, man. I need to record uh, you so I can just write an article by just we need transcription. your summaries. We definitely need transcription. But, but you know, these emerging technologies need a VintSurf. They need a TCP. We need a VintSurf. Protocol inventor to get the internet on a tipping point. They need to serve Tim Berners-Lee and HTTPS and the web. The 80s and 90s had these pioneers that helped drive standards yes. and interoperability. Yes. Who is the Vint serve of the metaverse today? I can't name well, that like person. You know, Bob, it's, up, it's really up to us. Remember, remember, we walked in this boardroom once and we sat there and like, we're the grownups. And we're like, holy crap, that's us. <laughs> what do we do? This yeah. is a little scary. Yeah. So, so a that's, that's where we are. Those are big shoes. Those are very, very big shoes. But who do we have coming up? We've got episode, episode number 270. Go. 275. Uh, a, a nice milestone number. We have uh, Shrijit Mursha, Chief Innovation Officer, Head Group Services at I. I Aditya Birla Management Corporation. Oh, yeah. Big Dustin, company in India. Big company. We have Dustin Hasler, Chief Innovation Officer of eRepublic. And we have Susan Brady, not 
a relative of Tom, CEO of the <laughs> Simmons University Institute for Inclusive Leadership and author of Arrive. Oh, yes. Really, so really good book. Those are our three extraordinary guests next week. Ray, my good friend, uh, if it's if it's Friday, it's Disrupt TV. Thank you for all of you watching. And please continue to recommend guests for the show. We're more than a third through the, through the year. We're several months booked. But if you can recommend guests for the show, the second half of 2022, we can get your oh, yeah. guests on our show. So thank you. Thank you, everyone, for watching. We'll see you next, next Friday. Bye.